0: From WBEZ Chicago and PRX,
1: this is Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis. And I'm Greg Cott. This week, we're talking with the outspoken Chicago rapper Vic Mensa about music, racism, gun
2: violence, and more. People that aren't from Chicago sometimes don't understand how it is that you could be five blocks from the projects and five blocks from Obama's house. But it's a real thing. Plus, we'll review the new album from art pop musician Tune Yards and pay
0: tribute to Dolores O'Riordan, the lead singer of the Cranberries and trumpet legend Yu Masekela. That's all coming
1: up on Sound Opinions.
0: You're listening to Sound Opinions, and Greg, later on in the show, we'll be talking with Chicago rapper Vic Mensa. An incredible talent who is fast rising has been opening arena shows for Jay Z. Put out a phenomenal album we both were fond of, reviewed last year. But first, we've got some new music.
1: That's a track called Heart Attack from the new Toon Yards album, I Can Feel You Creep Into My Private Life, the fourth studio album from Toon Yards, AKA Meryl Garbus, a previous guest on Sound Opinions. Uh, She started out as a ukulele playing, drumming, vocal loop uh, triggering, (laughs) one woman band uh, on stage. And that that has evolved over the last uh, decade or so. Um, She started out, uh, you know, uh, studying Swahili in Kenya, African music, uh, got into puppet theater of all things. She was creating these... Uh, puppet operas for kids with her ukulele, Uh, and that evolved into a a, a nanny job where she started writing some songs into a small digital tape recorder. Uh, That became her debut album in 2009, Bird Brains. She began working with a, uh, a producer and a bassist by the name of Nate Brenner, who is now her life partner. He has co-produced her latest record I Can Feel You Creep Into My Private Life that's her fourth studio record she's evolved from that one woman band into a more full on production style Uh, let's hear what she's up to next here's a track called Home from Tune Yards I Can Feel You Creep Into My Private Life on Sound Opinions
0: That is home from the new album by Tune Yards. I can feel you creep into my private life. Greg, the things that Meryl Garbus is doing with her voice in that track in particular, she is no Bjork, but she is. has got that kind of ambition. Mm-hmm. Um, that instrument that she has, her, her voice is so expressive and so powerful, and so is her intellect and her honesty. The line that slays me on this album I smell the blood in my voice. immediately before writing this album in in trying to to address social justice she uh, said she was on a six-month meditation workshop uh, to try to learn what she could do as someone who has used African rhythms, who has lived in Africa, as a white person in the realm mm. of social justice. That that sounds like heady and heavy stuff. Yep. It's not, though. Uh, this is a dance album, heavily influenced by 70s disco, and I think even more so by the classic sounds of Chicago House. There is a joy here. Uh, lose yourself in moving your body. There is also a conscience, and if we look at that title, I can feel you creep into my private life. What what I think she is saying is that the the very troubling things regarding social justice and Black Lives Matter and the Me Too movement uh, are all intruding on all of us all the time. What can we do? I think there's a little bit of fatigue in the indie rock underground that mm. loved her so much on her debut. You know, she was at the height of her powers when she was on Sound Opinions in 2011. This is an evolving artist who's gone somewhere new, and this is a great record. It's a buy-it record.
1: Yeah, I think there's some criticism because there is a lot of furrowed brow intellectualizing going on here. She's a very smart woman. She's done that uh, from the beginning. And, and she's sort of beating herself up a lot in this record. Yeah. Um, you know, oh, it's the white guilt thing, right? And we're tired of that, you know? <laughs> okay, well, you know, maybe that's the way you can interpret this. But as you said... Uh, you know, it could very easily be ponderous, but she's pairing cultural appropriation, the end of the world. These are heavy, heavy subjects with this incredibly liberating music, this body music. I mean, if you don't like the words, tune those out and just dance your butt off on the dance floor. <laughs> you know, uh, this, is a, this is a very danceable record. White privilege. I think the key for me about this record And people talk about this whole notion of white guilt. What really we're talking about is that we're all in this together. We cannot make progress as a species if we don't confront ourselves about our own failings. And I think that's essentially she needs to be better. By extension, she's asking us to be better. And she's saying that we can dance to this music. This this music will pull us together. I I love this record. It's a a buy-it record for me.
3: Didn't I tell you we was going to make it to the top? Didn't I? didn't I didn't I didn't I didn't I tell you this was a new birth of the rock group didn't I didn't I say I didn't send you that money when you needed it because your mind didn't I didn't I say I didn't didn't I take up the morning just to ride with you yeah
1: this is sound opinions and the song you're hearing is say I didn't by our guest this week rapper Vic Mensa You know, uh, Vic's only 24 years old, but he has been around the Chicago scene uh, for about a decade now. Mm. He was releasing mixtapes when he was a kid in high school, uh, coming up alongside a guy by the name of Chance the Rapper. These guys were in a crew together, the Save Money crew, which still exists. It is one of the epicenters of what I can only be called a renaissance in Chicago hip-hop over the last decade. He has been working with and uh, noticed by uh, uh, quite an array of artists. Jay-Z, for example, signed him to his Rock Nation label. Um, Mensa opened a concert for Beyoncé at Soldier mm-hmm. Field in Chicago That's a, a couple of summers a ago. That's as big as yeah. And he finally got around to putting out his debut solo album last year called The Autobiography. It was executive produced by no ID, a legendary figure. He's worked with people like Common, Vince Staples, Jay-Z. He does not work with just anybody. Yeah. Uh, and he wanted to work with Vic Mensa. So that says a lot about how he is regarded in the wider hip hop community. Greg, obviously a supremely talented rapper, writer,
0: musician, but Vic Mensa is also a social activist. He has taken dedicated stands on issues like Native American rights in Standing Rock. I recently had an op-ed published in Time about human rights abuses against Palestinians. His focus on justice goes far and wide from the south and west sides of Chicago around the world. Let's welcome Vic Mensa to Sound Opinions. Vic, thanks for coming.
2: Thank you for having me, man. It's it's really cool to hear both of your voices in person. <laughs> I've been listening to them for a long time. Well, Thank it's you. an honor to My have you. My mom is going to we... be
1: psyched. Uh, th- you know, that's what, that's what Kanye used I to was... say.
0: That's what Common used to say. That's yeah, what right. Chance used to that's say. Right. They all
1: they all love their moms. Yeah. Um, and the autobiography, you poured your heart out into this record, and it, it gives us an opportunity to talk about, you know, you're a young artist, but you've you've made a lot of music. Memories on 47th Street. Is the second track on the record after the intro, and you really it really takes us back to where you started.
3: I am the first son of Betsy and Edward Mincer. Made love and made a legend. Woodloon in 47. Gunshots shots outside my window. Drug deals out by the sit go. But mama always made sure the truth every found my pillow. My pops was always working, he put the family first. Chicago Saturdays in the parking, Sundays in church
1: arc obviously to this record where you take us from your your childhood up to you know right right in the moment where you came through some hardships and sort of saw the light at the end of this record so obviously this is something that you you don't do lightly it was it's not just a collection of tracks but it's almost like a novel or a book that you would read about somebody so how did you come to a place where you wanted to make a record in this
2: way a complete record beginning middle and end So uh, the title of the album, The Autobiography, I put on the cover as told by Vic Minster is inspired by the autobiography of Malcolm X as told to Alex Haley. And something I always admired about that book was Malcolm X's journey through these different phases and cycles and being a hustler and a pimp and then being incarcerated and becoming a Muslim and then being a spokesman for the Nation of Islam and then realizing that maybe this isn't the actual way and coming kind of around like a full arc to a place of like more peace and more inclusiveness. Yeah. And it it wasn't like a necessarily a conscious decision for me to like, follow that footstep with my own story, but I, I I did call it the autobiography because I felt that was really representative of what I wanted to do, depicting the ways that these different events impacted my character and the sh- and the shaping of me as a man. I knew I had to spend time in childhood. I knew I had to speak about the duality of life as a mixed race kid in Hyde Park on Forty Seventh Street because that's the edge of Hyde Park. Mm. Right between two worlds. You're right between two worlds, and I I tell people a lot of time. It's like uh, people that aren't from Chicago sometimes don't don't understand how it is that you could be, you know five blocks from the projects and five blocks from Obama's house. Mm-hmm. But it's a real thing, and that and that's because Chicago has this really stark economic disparity. I know I had to spend time there and go through you know, this really just tumultuous relationship that I was in, volatile, and I had to talk about drugs, I had to talk about addiction, um, I had to talk about violence in the streets, and it's, it's, it's oftentimes a lot of dark things, but Kind of like how when I was a kid in school, I remember I would I get all these A's, and then I get one C or a check mark or something, and that's mm. all my dad paid attention to. <laughs> <laughs> well, your parents were both educators, right? <laughs> yeah, my dad teaches at UIC currently. He's a PhD professor of health economics. My mom is a physical therapist in. Uh, CPS, so she spends mm-hmm. most of her time on the south side, like working with uh, mentally challenged kids. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, same. Common had a similar
0: upbringing, and Kanye obviously had a similar upbringing. And and one of the things that drives me crazy in in hip hop, so much of it is so reductive. And you know, you're following in the footsteps of talking about this community. Of educators and people who go to church and people who were Black Panthers in soup kitchens and yeah you know, and gangbangers and drug dealers. I mean, it, it, it's a much broader mm-hmm. uh, spectrum life in the Black community on the West or South sides of Chicago. Mm-hmm. And that you know, we, our rappers here talk about that, right? And and you know, uh, Hotlanta and and
2: often New York and often L.A. don't. Well, you know, they have. I th- I think that just like everything, hip hop moves in cycles. You know. That's, that's the way of the world is that things come and go and they come back around. And, you know, you've obviously had artists like Ice Cube and NWA mm. um, that opened up America's eyes to what it was like in Compton. You know, somebody in New York, like a Moe's Death or something, you know. you've had, You've had a lot of artists, but I do think that I think Chicago is unique in the maybe— draconian manner of its segregation. I feel like it does a and I I think it does a lot for the art though because the south side of Chicago was created in a very exacted and purposeful way, you know, and if you were black you couldn't get alone outside of the south or west yeah. sides of Chicago. So, I think you have this situation where you just you have a a, a lot of a lot of struggle that is really self-contained. In there, like you said, you also have people that were Black Panthers in soup kitchens, and you got activists and educated Black people all in the mix with a lot of poverty and crime and everything that comes along with poverty.
3: Out of the fire I found the fire inside
2: being in this concrete jungle that also has a, a mentally advanced element to it, I think that's what makes some, some of us from Chicago have the perspective that we do in rap. You know, I know for me, it was listening to Lupe and Kanye when I was a kid. I was like, Lupe, Kanye, and Kamen. Kamen was my real favorite rapper. Yeah. You know what I mean? Growing up, that was the, and to this day, you know, still one of my favorite rappers. I
3: wonder if these white realize they rap. And they the reason that my people say they tired of rap. Inspired by black. Muslims and Christians pushing cutlasses. And other traditions
4: and other conditions of the city. The city.
2: And I think that influenced like my generation a lot because we're seeing some of the most lyrically gifted, special musicians to ever touch a microphone that are rapping about the streets we grew up on. Yeah, but you know, you you know, all of those
0: artists—Lupe, uh, Kanye, Common—you know—they're soft. They're backpackers. They're granola eaters is what Greg and I have been fighting. Oh, we, we've gotten the throne. For a long uh, time. And Lupe has sat where you're sitting. We've talked about this, right? Because they say, yes, there's violence, there's crime, there's drugs, but they also say there's community and love and hope and education, right? right? Uh, it, those are not cool things, quote-unquote, cool things right. to rap about. Um, and yet the perspective on the autobiography is all of these things come together.
2: Yeah, because— Coming into this record, I wanted to make something that I felt really represented me as a person. There was a point in time when I had a collection of music for a different album. And I was in a dark place personally. I was using a lot of drugs. I had lost all the serotonin and dopamine and all the other things that make you smile. You know, I was missing all of those. You were suicidal, you said. I was said. bad. Yeah, I was. It, it wasn't good for me. And the music I was making was... It was dark in that way like it was dark guilty and just like self-loathing you know and I was I was talking to my therapist and I was telling him man I just want to make music that feels like the person I am we were taking a walk and you know I saw this girl on the street and you know just like Got a number and I'm just messing around, just having fun. And then he's like, you know, see, you are a fun guy. You over here being all, <laughs> all dark. Mm-hmm. And and I was like, man, you know, I just want to make music that is like me. You know, that it feels like me. And people, people that know me know that, I, I guess. I'm I'm a serious person in that I talk about serious things all the time, but I'm always joking. You know, I'm always smiling. There's I'm, a lot of humor on this. I'm album. always having fun, so it's like I'm yeah. trying. So with this album, I wanted to make something that felt like the person that you meet in real life.
3: This feel like a rebirth, another day on this green earth. I couldn't ask for much more, man. Could be worse. A fresh pair of jeans, a nice clean shirt. I'm on my island in the sun. Shout out to weed, sir. Who can you count on these days in 2017? Lil. Big city, bigger dreams. I copped the house out in the hills just to switch scenes. And that ain't back home saying how convict lead. I got
2: Even Chicago though I have like a song like home record it is just like kind of heavy and how and how messed up the the story is, but it's funny though. You know I'm like I want to speak to it, but as a minority, I had to hide the <laughs> weed first. That's a priority, because it was real. The police came in my crib. Yo, this was one of the only times I've ever heard a knock on the door, and they say, police, and I'm like, come in.
3: Now we wrestling in the kitchen. How the hell you get so strong? She pull the dresses out the cabinet. All the knives fell on the floor. Whoa, I drive you crazy, but you love that shit. I'm looking down at the knives. Please don't cut that I mean, she ain't know I was your new she like it's time to go. to Peace and then police come in the crib looking all out the window and shorty come out the bathroom mad as a skenzo. I want to speak to her but as a minority I had to hide the weed first. That's a priority.
1: You know, it's like interesting I'm you should bring that up, uh, Vic, because the precursor to this record was an EP that you put out in 2016 called There's a lot going on and the key track there was a song called uh, 16 shots that you wrote and debuted at Soldier Field opening for Beyoncé and everybody's like going, wow, what a song! I mean, this was a really powerful moment at a time in the city where there was a lot of outrage. The song was written about the release of the video of the Laquan McDonald police shooting in Chicago and the protests, the rage in the streets that followed that. This this song almost seemed to be a soundtrack for those protests. Laquan McDonald, this young African-American who was shot 16 times by police, caught on a video uh, that was released. The young man was on the ground and continued to be shot by the police officer in the video. Obviously, there was an incredible amount of rage and an incredible amount of sense of injustice that your song really seemed to encapsulate.
3: Ready for the world, we got our boots strapped. A hundred deep on State Street with the troop set. The mayor line say didn't see the video footage and everybody wanna know where the truth at. On the south side where it's no trauma centers but the most trauma. A lot of cannons but you don't want no drama. I can't imagine if it was my own mama got a first born son, stole from her. He never had a chance and we all know it's cause he black. Shot him 16 times, how f*** is that? Not
2: 16 Shots is one, one of my favorite records that I've done. And it's always one of my favorite records to perform that's a record that I wanted to make since I was 16 years old. I recently got a piece of paper that was one of those classroom introductions from high school where it's like, you know, it's a little survey. It's like your favorite food and, like, you know, what's <laughs> yeah. your favorite color? You know what I mean? Um, and least favorite something was one of the questions. And I was, like, 15 years old and I was, like, Chicago police officer. Um, just because I just I picked up early on. That the way that this police state is structured in America is just an extension of slavery. You know, it's it's just an it's an overseer mentality. They they ride the horses, you know, at o- overseer 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 officer officer, officer, officer officer from overseer. You need a little clarity. Check the similarity. You know what I mean? And I was loving KRS One, so yeah. I'm like, wow, that makes a lot of sense to me. So um, to make the record, sixteen shots. I um, I, I wanted to make that record for a long time, like I said, and so when it did come together, and it was it, it was born out of being in the streets after Laquan McDonald was killed uh, by P- Chicago police officer Jason Van Dyke, who goes free to death.
3: They threw a little girl down on the pavement, pushed her with a bike, and said, "Stay out the way." She was bleeding on the ground through her braces. this will happen when they don't stay in their places. the mayor dumping where he fired the superintendent but resignation come with bonuses and recognition so we gonna break the stores on magnificent Mound. and if we gotta go let's go to prison and style cops killing kids and staying out of jail but Bobby Schmerder can't even catch bail so it's one two three four five six now I got everybody yelling out one,
1: so you're you're writing this song on the heels of that video being exposed and sort of amplifying what was already happening in Chicago for a long time
2: uh, police violence on on the black community uh, and yeah you? i mean we 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 grew up with this i was like right, i'm on the first plane back to chicago and that energy that i felt there inspired me to make that song in addition to you know just years of abuse from police and i talk about some on this record i talk about you know, just being mistaken for somebody else. And this time when the police pulled me over when I was a kid, pulled me over on a bike, you know what I mean?
3: At age 12 I learned the difference between white and black Police pulled me off of my bike I landed on my back Back to reality Oops, a victim of gravity Where they pull you down and keep you there Depending on how you keep your hair We'll be
2: over on a bike Like accusing me of running from them yesterday And then like, do you well do you have a twin brother? I just started to realize, you know And then as we got a little bit older And you become a threat in their eyes, then now it's like guns drawn, everybody get on the ground like we got a call about something, who knows what. Um, and it, it, it's just a culture that's been allowed to fester in not just Chicago, but in the, the nation at large. P- power corrupts, absolute power corrodes. And in Chicago and, and everywhere in the United States, honestly, you can't tell me none of these police officers have been guilty. You know, nobody's guilty. Not one. Not one of them is is spending their life in prison like they they're human beings. And they've committed pretty much the the most cardinal sin that you can commit as a human being to kill, you know, to kill, not not in self-defense, not in time of war. I mean, we are in a war, but to kill and a lot of the times to kill children. And we have it on tape like consistently we have it on tape nobody's doing prison time so that's where the anger in a song like 16 shots come from so I know there have been police officers that you know were like trying to shut me down at concerts or like you know trying to direct people away from my my stage at Lollapalooza and you know saying if I perform this thing outside at this event in Chicago city ordinance they're gonna shut me down and things like that um but I, I feel it's just it's just necessary, you know, to 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 fight back.
3: I you to rage the night. I want you to the before final you you
0: when we come back, more of our conversation with Chicago rapper Vic Mensa, including talking about working with Pharrell. Plus, we'll pay tribute to Dolores O'Riordan of the Cranberries and you, Masekela. That's in a minute on sound opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX.
3: Coffee and cigarettes Remind me of you, babe You pick me up in your old Buick station wagon With the radio broke I roll the window up you turn the AC on. So cold? Welcome back to
1: Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott with Jim DeRogatis, and that's the song Coffee and Cigarettes by our guest this week, Chicago rapper Vic Mensa, who in 2017 released his debut album, The Autobiography, one of the most well-received albums of the year. Now I want to get back into what we were talking about earlier, which was that song, Sixteen Shots, and I want to talk about the really poignant music video for the song uh, in which you were involved. Um, You know, it's an interesting response that you're giving in that video. There's this constant uh, war going on in the streets of Chicago and other urban areas between young African-American men and the police. The response to this sort of outrage would typically be a violent one. Uh, It seems like that's the direction we're heading in, violence breeding more violence. But at the end of the video, instead of attacking the officers after they've committed this affront to your community, you tip the gun downward and say, you know, a truce, an attempt, at, at coming to some kind of solution that doesn't involve more bloodshed. Um, so, Vic, it seems like you're proposing a solution that's different from what has been said
2: in, in many hip-hop tracks before. I think that the idea at the end of the 16 Shots video where through like all of this brutality, um, I'm, I'm, I don't shoot back, I don't attack, I just, I'm like, I, pu- I push the gun down. Right, I push the gun down and and I walk away, and it's it's not it's not necessarily a Martin Luther King approach, just like so much as a to kind of what I was just speaking about a an empathetic approach where it's like I see your I see you're scared, police officer, you know Van Dyke, like I I see you're scared. I mean I think that it's probably mixed in with some hatred and all these things, but you've been taught that, you know? It's it's kind of trying to understand that that this division is taught and that it has a real perpetrator, you know? The real perpetrator here, even for a song like 16 Shots, even though I'm saying some pretty graphic things towards police officers, the real perpetrator is not a, your average beat cop, you know, just like on duty. The perpetrator is, is the are are the orchestrators of this culture that allows it to fester like i said that that sets that sets these criminals free the perpetrator is is really in the fabric of american society and the idea at the end of 16 shots that empathetic approach that's also what the arc of the album takes me to the final song on the album after i go through my childhood and this tough relationship and loss and taking part in violence and drug addiction and mental health. At the end of it all, I come around to a place where I'm, I'm saying we could be free. We could be free from all of this, you know, if we knew we were slaves to the pains of each other.
3: We could be free If we only knew we were slaves to the pains of each other One thing I believe I could learn see my enemy as my brother then we could be free truly and love could wash away all the sorrows I'm not afraid to bleed if it means we we'll make a better
4: today not tomorrow
2: it's it's a difficult thing I to live by but mom I'm mom saying if no if I could learn to see my enemy as my brother that's 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 tough but it's it's necessary, and and in certain points in the album, I had to I had to step out of you know my reality and my my emotion to try to try to see my enemy as my brother. There's a song called Heaven on Earth where I speak from three perspectives. Um, the first perspective is my big bro. Uh, Cam, he was he was killed in Chicago on the South Side. So I'm writing a letter to him in heaven. Mm-hmm. The second perspective is him writing a letter to me from heaven, and the third perspective is spoken from his killer, explaining the events of that night. And at the end of the killer's verse, I. I hypothesize, you know what, what he may be thinking. I
3: let two shots go before I knew it, he was laying on the ground in a puddle of blood. I know it ain't right. I think about it every night. I ain't even mean to take his life. We living in the streets where it ain't sh- free, and your man just had to pay the ultimate price. A week later, I saw your post on the gram, R. P. Dare with a picture of him. I recognized the face from somewhere. Then I realized.
2: In that verse, I also try to think about, you know, maybe. Maybe he just had a baby. Maybe he didn't even, you know, he, he he didn't even mean to kill him. He said, I was scared. I ain't going to lie. That's what it was. I thought he had a gun. My eyes went black. I let two shots go. Before I knew it, he was laying on the ground in a puddle of blood. Mm-hmm. And because everybody's afraid, you know? Your average, your average game banger that's like just letting it go in daytime because he sees his ops, He's afraid. He doesn't want to get shot. You know. He's he's afraid, and that fear can turn into into violent aggression. It's the same with the tiki torch carrying white supremacists. They're afraid. They're afraid of losing what they see to be as their you know their their white right. You know. Right. Well, heaven on earth. There's also you're sitting here
0: in a Nirvana t-shirt. There's a great line. I think you're talking to Cam. I was smoking weed with Kurt Cobain. He says he likes your. Sh- Um, But
2: the idea of, you know, if we could all just sit down and get high and listen to music we love, right? (laughs) If we could sit down, like, just, because, you know, the thing, too, is that a lot of these people, they don't consider themselves to be racist. But they say really racist things, and then they don't consider themselves to be racist, because there's probably, like, one black dude that, like, they work with at the auto mechanic shop or something, and, like, (laughs) and they're pretty cool, you know? So i
0: like, yeah, I don't I'm, hate I, all black people. I, know I like a, that one
2: guy. I know there's a point in time when these tiki torches have sat and like had a civil, like interaction with the black person. If we could sit down and just turn off the hate for a second and just smoke some good dope, like <laughs> I, I swear I think we could fix a lot of problems, man.
1: <laughs> well, and you know, speaking of Nirvana, I, I think uh, one of the things that's always been true about your music is that you're very genre. Uh, free uh there's there's you 're not just one thing, and the autobiography you you, you welcome all that um, and, and you know to jim 's point earlier about people they love to stereotype rappers and art, artists in general yeah, get yeah, yeah. get stereotyped uh, that didn 't seem to be a major concern for you, and you found uh as an executive producer you're working with no id who picks his projects very carefully we yeah, should yeah, know yeah. he does not work with just any he just was um, coming off the jay-z record it's a giant, yeah. it's it's a giant. so you have the shape of this record that is touching on lots of genres uh sometimes multiple genres in the same song Weezers uh, on the record how important Weezers. Ta- the, yeah. that where did that musical eclecticism in your own life coming from
2: yeah, you know, I, I was I was more into rock music as a kid than I was rap music. I didn't get into rap music a, a, until a little bit later, maybe around like seventh grade or sixth grade or something like that. But before that, I was first I loved Guns N' Roses. <laughs> Child of Mine and Tupac, I ain't mad at you. Those are my two favorite songs, <laughs> in no specific order. I was listening to all that, man. Like buying those records on vinyl too, because like around the time when I did discover hip hop, I discovered hip hop through skateboarding. Mm-hmm. You know, I was I was into skateboarding years before I was ever into rap music, and I discovered hip hop really through this Zoo York mixtape. They used to have these. Zoo York skate tapes that they called mixtapes, and there was a part. It might have been Harold Hunter, rest in peace, who um, had a part skating to KRS One, step into a world,
3: yeah, right? step into We're a world.
2: So then I started getting into hip hop, and I, I started from the ground up, you know, going through all the different eras. I mean, we was even buying like Grandmaster Flash, and uh, like I know that hip hop ain't really what what's in right now, but I'm so hip hop, it's like <laughs> it's kind of it's, it's kind of scary. Like you know, we were over there really break dancing. Me and Nico, uh, who went by Donnie Trumpet for some time, we were break dancing in the basement. Mm-hmm. He bought turntables. We would listen to N.W.A. Then we'd be like, "Oh, express yourself." Let's see who, where'd that come from? And then we would go and buy Jimmy Castor bunch. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was already coming into hip hop, being a fan of other genres of music, particularly rock and roll music. And then in hip hop, I started to I started to listen to all these different genres that came from the samples, you know, mm-hmm. and digging the samples and and checking out what dilla was sampling so i was spending countless hours just like a stone kid at High Park Records.
3: Take me away from all the drama, man. I miss the old days. With all of these backstabbers, I feel like the old chase. I want to open up my parachute, but it's cold playing this role when you never been a type to role play. It's something about this game, and it f- what you mentally like football players leaving a league with traumatic brain injury, and eventually you'll never be the same as you were. Then you look back at your life, and everything is a blur.
1: Seems like with. Uh, Autobiography, your, your writing has caught up with your musical vision, uh, and it, it, just in terms of the depth of what you're going for. Um, that record culminates in a series of songs where there is sort of a light. It, it comes from this very dark place, the violence that you, know, you address your personal drug use in a very frank manner. Um, the song Wings seems to be like a ter- real turning point yeah. in the record, where the record sort of shifts gears right there, and that's a record you made with Pharrell Williams. Yes. And that, that particular track seems to be coming out of some real personal strife in own life. That's one of my in biggest life.
2: influences right there. Pharrell, I mean, I think that Pharrell is a wizard and influenced me a lot as a kid because he was this fly rocker, yeah. running rap, I always would tell people, whenever they would ask me, um, dream collaboration, i say Pharrell, 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 for Pharrell, Pharrell, and just manifested it into reality, and I was going through a certain situation the day that I got into the studio with Pharrell, and you know, just this dishonest Chicago dude, you know, he had basically stolen a large sum of money from me, and you know, mm-hmm. I was like, I was livid, but and but I was also coming off of like the situations in this album. You know, song like "Down for Some Ignorance," where I had something kind of not the same, but similar happened to me, and somebody I knew well stole from me, and then I acted in a in a wrong way, um, something that didn't do much good for anybody
3: i we
2: yeah. I went into the into the studio with Pharrell and I I told him what was going on because I was just visibly disturbed. And Pharrell was like, listen, man. You're you're lucky actually. You're you're lucky for two reasons. You're lucky one because you're not the person that has to go to sleep and wake up knowing that this is who they are, you know, to look look yourself in the eye and know that you're just a liar and a thief and a cheat. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And secondly, you're lucky because you have the ability to move on. You're not this is this isn't going to break you, yeah, you mm-hmm. know? You can move on, and so then Pharrell played this record, "Wings," and you know I just flipped because the the music was it was saying exactly what I needed at that moment. It was like spread my spread my wings and fly, fly. Good at doing that, like saying the simplest things that, because they're so simple, have the most broad meaning. And so I just took I took that that music and it switches into the NERD type of you know fast drums. I took I took that idea and I was just like, you know what I, I've I've wanted to talk for a long time about uh, my struggles with addiction and also just like recapping all of this chaos that I talk about in the album and. Like breaking it down and letting it all out, you know, letting it letting it out how I feel. So I have a song called Home Record where I, I destroyed this relationship just by being unfaithful and just being on this rock star life. And then on the other side, you know, I have the condemning of like people close to me for lying to me. Yeah. And so it's like there, there's uh, there's this Gemini thing going on with me. <laughs> yeah, but the difference, Vic, is you came out with wisdom. Right.
1: We have been talking to Vic Mensa at Sound Opinions. Uh, Vic, it's been a pleasure having you, man.
2: It's an honor to be here, man. Like I said, my mom's going gonna to freak, <laughs> man. I know <laughs> we'll, you guys' voices really well. We'll <laughs> get a mug for her, okay, Vic? <laughs> All right, Vic? cool.
0: That wraps up our conversation with Vic Mensa. If you have opinions on the Chicago rapper, call and leave us a message at 888-859-1800. Coming up next, we'll pay tribute to the late Dolores O'Riordan, lead singer of the Cranberries, and Greg will share his thoughts on the South African musical legend, Hugh Masekela. That's in a minute on sound opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX.
3: And that's what makes it so three. Hard to let you go, cause girl, you're gorgeous. <laughs>
1: Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott with Jim Dirigatis and that is Grazing in the Grass by the great Hugh Masakela, who died at the age of 78 on uh, January 23rd in his home of Johannesburg. After a battle with prostate cancer, uh, Grazing in the Grass, a uh, big hit in the 60s, a big crossover hit for this great uh, trumpeter who was mostly associated with the South African jazz scene in the 50s before leaving that country for uh, basically an exiled existence for the next several yeah. decades because the apartheid in his uh, native country was so oppressive. Um this man traveled in some uh heavy duty circles. I mean Dizzy Gillespie and Louis Armstrong were fans. There's a, a great picture of him uh leaping in one of the uh, one of the yeah. ghettos in South Africa with holding uh Louis Armstrong's trumpet aloft. What uh, a
0: celebratory,
1: beautiful picture. Yeah. Yeah, triumphant moment. And from that, this kid, this street kid from South Africa. Uh, coming to America and uh, performing at the 1967 Monterey Pop Festival, becoming a pop star with "Grazing in the Grass." Well, some of you may know uh, the cover version of that hit with uh, vocals on it.
5: Uh,
1: he did over 40 albums uh, in the course of his career and life, um, but uh, I think the the most uh, poignant music that he created were, were, were protest songs about what was going on in his country. And the fact that he was able to go back to South Africa and live there to see the revolution and the protest that he advocated in his songs finally come to fruition in uh, the end of apartheid in the early 90s in South Africa, I think was a particularly powerful statement for his music. Sakala on trumpet, uh, dead at the age of 78.
0: that, of course, is a little bit of Linger, the big breakthrough hit in the 90s by the Irish rock band The Cranberries. Uh, Dolores O'Riordan, lead singer of that band, was found dead at the age of 46. On January fifteenth in a London hotel room, uh, sad, an incredible voice. I think that uh, after the biggies of the alternative '90s explosion, you know, your Smashing Pumpkins and Nirvana and Soundgarden, uh, you know, there were a lot of great bands that that in a previous era uh, would have been, you know, underground college rock club bands, but in this weird moment after Nirvana, the year punk broke, everybody gets signed and has 10 minutes uh, You know, as a superstar. The Cranberries were an uncompromising band. This was a hard rocking group led by a woman with an incredible voice. She's wearing combat boots, and she's in a t-shirt, and she's not pandering to sexist stereotypes for a front woman. Um, she is, in fact, uh, harshly political. Uh, the second album comes out, and and the story, uh, according to her former manager, she wants to lead with the single Zombie, which is about two children who were killed in a 1993 bombing uh, in England by the Irish Republican Army. She said that it was a song about man's inhumanity to man, man's inhumanity to child. And apparently, Island gave her a million dollar check and said, work on another song, anything but this, and she tore it up. Hmm. This was a woman with principles and character. I interviewed her. Incredible, uh, inspirational strength. uh, A tough go of it for the last couple of years. There were two solo albums that came out after the group broke up in 2003. Not particularly uh, well received. uh, and, And there was an attempt at a reunion. She has said she attempted suicide in the past with pills. She's uh, said she's been in therapy. She's been diagnosed as, as bipolar. The autopsy results are not in uh, the cause of death at age 46. But I think her spirit and her music lives on. You got to play zombie. For my money, as a political rock statement out of Ireland, this is better than mm. anything you two ever did, <laughs> and I'll fight Bono to the death if he <laughs> wants to argue about that. Dolores O'Riordan with the cranberry zombie on Sound Opinions. Reared in fronting the cranberries, Zombie is the song. She is dead at the age of 46. Greg, what do we have on the show next week? Jim, we're going to be talking about cover songs what makes a good one and what makes a bad one. Sound Opinions was produced by Brendan Banaszak, Alex Claiborne, and Iona Contreras.
1: sound opinions, everyone's a critic. So give us a call on our hotline, 888-859-1800.
5: New messages.
6: Hi, this is Rob from Madison, Ohio, and I want to comment on your new wave show you just had. I really think you guys should have mentioned Blondie. They were the original new wave band. Blondie was the prototype for all kinds of other bands. And they started the skinny tie thing. Not to mention the blonde hair with roots. Gotta love this show, though. God bless. Hey, it's Stephen calling from Evanston, Illinois. And I just wanted to say thanks for Allison Moye. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. She's awesome. I mean, wow. It's just as amazing today as she ever was. I love her <laughs> so anyway thanks for uh, sharing her with us on my drive home okay
5: bye New for every situation.
6: I remember fondly Duran Duran, but it's interesting how that memory comes about. You see, in the 80s, I was a metalhead, and as such, I looked down upon um, the pop music of the day and was against it. I went against my grain, and I did not like Duran Duran. But One day recently, about a year ago, I'm watching Access TV, and uh, there is a live band playing what sounded like pop music but older pop music what caught my attention and why i stopped flipping channels was because there were actual musicians all playing their actual instruments and they were really good and i'm watching and i'm like oh my gosh this is duran duran
4: and just breathing even closer behind In to do to do I'm on the hunt, I'm after you Smell like a
5: sound
6: I'm lost in do crowd And i do to do to do to are phenomenal musicians, and I really enjoyed it, and ever since then, I've told childhood friends of mine, you're not going to believe this, but I like Duran Duran now. They were a really good band, so there you go. Have a good day. Hi, my name is Lana Lee from Houston, Texas, and I'm calling about new wave music that I loved. I loved Dale Bozio from Missing Persons, the song Words. We used to play it over and over and over on our record player in my early teens, and we even covered it in my garage band in Chicago, Illinois. Bye.